Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com where you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind-the-scenes videos and two-minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can find us every other Thursday morning at 9.30 a.m. at bff.fm. And if you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps. What up? Hey, what's up? Oh, hey. What up, my friends? How are you? <laughs> Chilling. We're good. How are you? We made it. We made it through a year. Yeah, it's been a year. A year and a month, I think, since yeah. the last time we had you on. But... Oh, my gosh. What happened? Yeah. I don't, I don't know, know, but I'm tired. Yeah, we're mm-hmm. tired. Anyways, anybody doing uh, any, anybody doing anything exciting? <laughs> yeah. How many episodes did they send y'all? All six, but there's two more, right? It's supposed to be eight total. Oh yeah, and yeah. There's definitely two more. Ends with a kind of an important cliffhanger sort of things going on. So anyway, to be continued. It does. That's a rough place to leave y'all. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot. Tell your people. Tease. We do not tease. We're friends. We're not just some, you know. You gotta, you gotta, damn, you gotta wait till like the end of July. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's yeah. rough. Well, you know, I guess I'll do a formal intro. We have our friend uh, Rafael Cazal on the show today. It's been a year and a month, as Ange said, since we talked to him last. It's been a hell of a year. Uh, but he's got an important show coming on Stars on uh, June 13th. He's the creator, well, co creator, actor, and showrunner, most importantly of the show Blind Spotting. So welcome back to the show. Hey. Yay! Yay! <laughs> we, add, we add that in later, don't worry. Hey, do you have your drink yeah. You're supposed to be drinking. Just kidding. I mean, we no have pressure. a minute. Should I wander? I'm going to wander to the kitchen. I can find something here. I'm not, we're on the mix stage, so I don't know if I'm going to find any like oh, oh, cool. cool cool beverages, but I, I could at least have a bit. You know what we have here? We have sparkling cider here. That's like a non-alcoholic bougie drink it's got it's got bubbles sure that sounds good oh yeah and a pair of year oh look <laughs> oh, i can drink a look i can oh, drink that's a even more fancy they got the look they got all look at this shit they got so all you've moved up in the world here. since we last saw you no nothing has moved up <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 LaCroix is not a step, but we gotta we gotta worry about our standards if we're like, ooh, LaCroix. <laughs> I was gonna no. say I, I'm more of a Topo Chico, but you know. She <laughs> sounds like you've moved up in the world. <laughs> I have to say something with an accent, it seems fancier to me. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Yes, that's our that's our uh, that's our weird intimidation of Eurocentric ideals. That's all that is. <laughs> Well, and because we don't travel and we don't speak other languages, so yeah, right. So we hear something and we're like Perrier. Oh, yeah. oh, oh snap. fancy. <laughs> so, so come on, tell us about the show. The hell, <laughs> you just watched it. <laughs> okay, can so, I tell you a spoiler alert? I'm just gonna. I just. I. I feel like we're friends, sort of. So, I could not get into the goddamn screening link. I oh, have no. 30, I have 34 emails to prove it. And I was on a, anyways, it's a whole thing. It's totally I'm fine. Like, I'm just getting old. I can't do anything. So you haven't seen it, but other no, people have. <laughs> she has. So, so between the two of us, yeah, you know, look, we have yeah. thoughts on things. Yeah. So now I I'm going to have to wait you didn't just, just go to her house. It wasn't that simple either. It wasn't that simple. But, um, Got it. Okay. <laughs> 
I do want to start off by saying like now that blind spotting has become a series, um, it's just really exciting how much deeper you can dive into like, mm -hmm. you know, the whole internal bias stereotypes, because now you have all of these characters to play with. And yeah. um, so, so when you're thinking about, you know, who your characters are going to be, and I know you take them a lot from people in your own life, um, you know, maybe not exactly, you know, characterized versions of them, but like, how do you choose which stories to put at the forefront? Because there's so much you cover, but also there's so much more. Yeah, that, that is the duality of trying to do, uh, uh, you know, another chapter in a story about um about the bay and about the east bay right is we we wanted to create something that both felt like a continuation of the movie but also stood on its own and so actually really felt like the next clear pickup place for that and then we really just started to build out like who we thought was going to be around her first and we're like oh we're going to start there and then we have you know we have a board in our blind spotting you know dungeon <laughs> of all the other of all the other stories we'd love to you know not not try to tell in their totality because i think other filmmakers should take some of those things on you know we should have a we should have a bunch of other writers and directors really diving into them but to but to go into a few of the other stories that peripheral characters will start to introduce and go oh well you know we could take that storyline and just kind of go off and just do a whole a couple episodes on this person or on this person or on this character or on this dynamic um, so I think we picked our initial, I think five, we have five leads. Um, and, and some of that was also limited by COVID, you know, it was like, well, we can't actually do, yeah. a, we can't actually tell a bigger story than this. Cause we can't even have more than five people in a room, you know, <laughs> and there's gotta be a camera person in the room and a sound person in the room, you know, we, we can't, we couldn't actually do like big crowd scenes and all. I think we have one big crowd scene in the whole first season. So it was really about like, as, as much bigger as the show feels in the movie at times, like picking a really small story, starting where the story starts and then, and then letting it sort of grow out like tree branches into like a broader tale about how this sort of catalyst event of Miles going to jail um, forced Ashley to re-examine sort of where she is in her life and the people she's around. And what does it mean to call people family and, and how she wants to sort of survive this, this external force derailing her. Mm -hmm. Well, I, what I did get to see back at South by was um, your panel and got to see an excerpt of the choreography and the dancing that's a part of the show. And I want to know if you can talk more about that, because Ange and I were separated at that time and we're just mm -hmm. texting each other like this is something we've never seen before. And it was so touching and um, just something that was that was brand new to us. So can you talk yeah. about that and, and making those decisions? Yeah, I mean, I think David and I both have a pretty big fascination with movement. I mean, we, we came up in a Bay Area theater scene that was big on hybrid art, right? So one of, one of David and I's mentor, Mark Momoti Joseph, like all of his shows had movement, you know? So it was something that was very intuitive for us early on, this idea of the relationship between... Um, hey, are you taking off? Yeah, yeah. All right, later. 107 is locked. <laughs> That's crazy. Wow. What? <laughs> okay. So I, left, I, I left the room and was like, I got to go do this interview. And they were clearly about to finish. I was like, I'm happy with it. If you guys are happy, I'm happy. So great. Okay, That's so locked. on the down low, you can send it to me right quick. Because I, I, it's a cliffhanger. I need to know. Anyway, carry on. 
no. If I send you 107, the pain of not having 108 is going to be okay. way worse <laughs> than the pain of not having 107. Okay. Because right. 107, like 108 is, anyway, 108 is crazy. Um, okay. But, uh, but yeah, so we were obsessed with sort of this idea of how, how movement can tell a story the same way that language can. Obviously, like we delve more in the world of language, but we have such sort of respect and admiration for movement. I mean, you know, the barrier has this very robust dance scene. A lot of dance, a lot of modern dance has, has originated in the Bay Area. And so we have known Buck and Bugs, our, our choreographers for the show for, for a few years now. But they put on this amazing show at UCLA maybe like two years ago, something like that. And I saw that and I had never seen movement storytelling done in the way that they do it forever. And I was floored. And when we finally got to hang out again and I realized how much sort of love and admiration they had for me and David, and I'm like, oh, well, there should be like a Greek chorus in the show that, that represents you know, the central theme of the prison industrial complex and can weave, uh, uh, you know, thematic sort of connective tissue between um, moments and characters sort of seamlessly throughout. How beautiful would that be? And that's really all we gave them. We were just like, something like that. I don't know. It's, it's really, we can kind of see it in our heads, but we see it in our heads because you guys have shown us what they, you know, what you do. We are like, all that really matters to us is that you include Bay Area dance styles and Bay Area dancers as much as possible so that we're always sort of pointing back to the root word, not just sort of co-opting and removing, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that was really, that was the assignment. And Buck and Bugs took it and just took it to a whole, like really the, the one you saw at South By is the first real big one mm -hmm. in 104. And then, and then we just get more confident with the convention as the rest of the season goes on. And um, it was really it was really life-changing to get to work to, with them on that because you can distill a feeling or distill a moment down into something that, that goes unspoken, but is lived through in the body. And I've never seen anything on TV like that before. Mm -mm. Um, right. so I'm really excited for it to just be like casually in the middle of a sitcom. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's like the dance version of a musical, like, but, but, but it's in yeah. every scene. There are these movements, you know, obviously not as, as elongated and, and emotional as it is in episode four, but it's from the, from the pilot, there are these little pockets of movement and, and dance that just kind of permeate and, and it adds so much. And like you said, it, like, that's why we were so excited to watch it. Like, this is like nothing we've ever seen. Um, but, but obviously we've had you and David on multiple times and you're always talking about how important it is for the Bay to just be a main character, for Oakland to be a main character in this project. And I'm, I'm curious to know, because we recently had Alana Brown, who's one of your writers. We recently had oh, her yeah. on the show. I, I believe she wrote episode five, right? Drug Trip. She did. I mean, we really all, you know, all the writers contributed pretty significantly to all the episodes in terms of, mm -hmm. in terms of like creative input of us thinking about where the characters were in their lives and what they were doing. But, but Alana's, yeah, Alana's bulk of her work was, was then executing on, on episode five. Yeah, so I have like a two-part question about that. First of all, she said she met you at just like a family party and you were like, what's up? Send me send me some shit. And then all of a sudden she's now a, a show a writing for TV and that's, that's incredible. Uh, so I want to hear your side of that story from that party, if you remember it. And then yeah. secondly, um, because, you know, the Bay is such an important presence for the show to, uh, you know, 
to both of you. Is there some sort of litmus test that you give to like writers and actors to, to be sure? I mean, a lot of them are from the Bay, so that's great. But is there something else that, that you have to see in them to be like, okay, you understand my vision and you're going to be able to execute? Can I go in reverse order? Yes. <laughs> um, I think the big thing is to not come in and say, do you understand my vision? Could you help me figure out the vision? <laughs> Um, I have my ideas. I have, I have things I think are exciting, but I think what we were trying to do with the writer's room was get a bunch of people in the room that don't all think alike and, and see around the corners of each other's blind spots. Right. So we, a, a, a lot of getting people to in, into that room first was about familiarity. Like I, I knew all the writers before we hired them. And that was big for me because it's important to have people that feel comfortable saying no to you and telling you if you're missing the mark on something and can say that to each other right and so i think the first thing is like how safe of a space can we can we create really quickly because we don't have a lot of time to create that space you know we can't become friends a year later and then be like oh i wish i would have told you way back when like we had to really cultivate that fast so we we went with people that we already knew um and then i think the other thing you know i think the inclination at first is to pick a pick a bunch of comedy writers and just have the show be like just a bunch of rapid fire jokes. But I, I think we were more interested in grabbing writers who understood the core of the people that we had to write for. And, and really, really treated sacred the fact that it's site specificity of being in the Bay was paramount. Um, mm-hmm. And then it didn't need to feel like something that was just like translatable to the world and sort of referenced the Bay but felt sort of truly grounded in, in the sense of place. Um, in terms of Alana, my mother had donated to her fundraising campaign for her film. That's how I knew her name. Because my mother had sent me emails being like, yeah, check out this filmmaker. She's a friend of a friend, you know? So I knew the name of the project. I either knew the name of the project or I, or I knew her name. And then I was at like my one of my closest friend's houses. She, I, I really just referred to as my sister. I've known her since we were like 10 or 11 and I grew up in her mom's house. Um, and she was there. Uh, and, and so um, Sam, my sister was like, you need to know Alana. She's working on this feat. You know, she just finished her feature. You know, she's going to be shy about, about it, but you know, y'all should know each other. And I think I was super high. I was, I think I showed up there just like ripped because I was home and I, I was home and I, you know, when I'm back home, I just get fully in my Bay mode and I'm like, I'm not working. I'm seeing family. That's what I'm doing. I'm going to return to form. You know, I smoke my dad's <laughs> good ass weed. His weed is so good. I get super lit off his homegrown shit. And then I go see all my friends and I was at, so I was at Sam's house and Alana's there and I'm very, I'm particularly inquisitive when I'm stoned. And I was just like, you're a filmmaker. Tell me about your movie. You know, because I'd never met her before. And I, I don't meet a lot of Bay filmmakers that have gotten, you know, gotten things off the ground or put in the work to get it moving. So when I heard she'd raised her, this money herself and wrote it and directed it, I was like, oh, you're a badass. Like, let's just go ahead and check that off the list. Just even getting that far. And so we chopped it up and I, I kind of felt like she thought I was bullshitting. So I was like, no, I'm going to actually, I'm going to come watch your movie. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not kidding, <laughs> you know? 
so she invited um she invited me to uh, a, a little private screening like maybe just like 10 or 12 people and actually i brought ben turner who ended up being another writer on the show and cast as earl so it was me and ben um, oh we need to talk about earl okay cool yeah so me and ben went we loved it we gave a bunch of notes i don't think they wanted <laughs> and then <laughs> And then we went and we got food. And I remember we were talking about the movie for like another hour. And we were just like, we're really impressed by her. And so I just texted her. I was like, hey, are you down to just meet up like right now? Like, I know we just left, but are you down to meet up again right now? And I can just talk to you about all the thoughts I had about your, your movie while you're finishing it up. Because maybe, maybe something here will just make it, you know, probably throw out a bunch. But one thing might make it a little bit better. And, you know, that could be really great for the end result of your film. I know I love that kind of feedback. So. So we met up, we got coffee, like it's dark now. It's like eight or nine at night. We chopped it up. And um, I, I also just really love the way that she took feedback. Like, I think she just like, she did it in a very methodical way. You can, you know, you can see when things were new notes were notes that had come up before that were, were frustrating or were echoing for another, another time or something that reinforced something she thought about her own film. And maybe she'd gotten resistance from her producers on. And I just, I felt like she was a very, collaborative artist right away I was like oh we're gonna we, we could find a really nice balance so I just kind of tucked that in the back of my mind and we talked a little bit of as her movie was progressing and she was working on it and um and then the show opportunity came up and we really had two weeks to staff that room so we were reading a lot of submissions the networks were sending all these submissions of other writers and after I read through about 30 of them I was just like I just want to hire some people I know I don't, I don't want to, who are these people? Like, I don't know. I'm just reading their writing samples. What if they're lunatics? Mm -hmm. You know, what if they, what mm -hmm. if they really don't want to, what if they really don't want to work for me, but they want to work on the show? Like, and it's, right. and it's awkward because they're, they're trying to circumvent me to, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just, we don't have time for this. It's the first season of a show. Um, I need people who trust me and like know me and David's intentions um, moving forward. And so Alana Nigel Muman, who did Jin, who's also, you know, from the Bay, Oakland, Hayward. Um, and Priscilla Garcia Jaquer, who's a really close friend of mine, is somebody I love very deeply. They're all brilliant writers and, and artists. And we were just kind of, me and Davi were on the phone and I was like, shouldn't we just hire these three? Like, two of them have never been in a writer's room. So what? One of them's only done one show. So what? And Benny's never done anything like this. So what? Um and so we just hung out for like a month and a half and we figured out what the show was going to be. And, you know, it was very methodical, obviously, like, you know, we're, we're artists. We get up at the crack of dawn and get to the wall and talk. And really, we just shared like a ton of stories and experiences. And that became the fabric of all the characters. And it was beautiful. It was. And then we got to get in, you know, then the pandemic hit and we we're like, well, let's hire everybody to write a version, you know, one of the episodes so we can at least continue working while, you know, while people are out of work. It's going to be very hard for them to get a job after this because yeah. we're everything's shutting down. Mm -hmm. So we just kept it rolling. And it was just a really beautiful experience to get to kind of do that remotely, having then having just spent all this time in person with each other. Um, and Alana was a huge, huge asset because she lives in the Bay, but isn't from the Bay, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. she's a and she's a you know biracial black woman like she she has a direct tie into one of our leads. Um, and she observes the Bay in a way that, that an outsider who has been there for a very long time and, and hangs with all locals has on us, which I think is sometimes really important when crafting a story about a place is like, sometimes we can't, we can't see around ourselves a little bit. 
Um, <laughs> so we had a bunch of we had a bunch of inside baseball people, and then we had people who were like just outside the fence. Um, and it, it it created a sort of a fascinating mirror that like at times it really resonates as as truly super Bay Area, and other times like it's kind of like oh shit, are, we're not like that. Oh, maybe <laughs> we're not like that. You know, maybe exaggerated maybe, maybe, for TV. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but maybe we are kind of like that though. Sometimes you know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's the I think that's the the fun of it. Sounds like an equitable writing writers room. Yes, I fucking hope so. Television is um, is is an oddly flexible medium. There's sort of a budget, but how you go about it is so different. Like I'm, I'm the showrunner on this show, but there's no there's no clear definition of what that job is. It's not even a credited job on IMDb or in the closing credits of a show. That's how ambiguous it is. I'm glad it's you're sort saying just, this because I was gonna Google it. Cause I'm like, I mean, I think I know what showrunner is, but. The depends boss? who you ask. Like there's right. there's there's authoritarian showrunners who are like, it's my show. We're we're executing my vision. There are other ones who are like, I'm a facilitator of everyone else's art. You know, mm-hmm. there's ones who are, and and then how they go about running the show is totally different. Some people do a like we did a four week intensive story breaking writers room, and then a freelancing period of writing scripts. Other people do a 16 week writers room with 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 12 writers. We did it with six writers because that was our budget. You know, we talked twice a week. Not everybody, some people talk five hours every single day. You know, you can kind of design it in whichever way is most conducive to the kind of work you want to do. And, and the same thing, once you're on set, like you, you set, you, you set the power dynamic, you know, you can mm-hmm. kind of control that dial. And so the onus really is on the person in that chair or the people around that chair. It's like, David is not technically the showrunner, but obviously David has a ton of fucking authority if he wants to, you know? Mm-hmm. he's he's the co-creator and he's by far the most famous you know it's it's there there's authority there and so i think we were he and i and a few of the other leadership folks were constantly having conversations about like what does it mean to set up um a, a power dynamic that is conducive towards letting everybody sort of celebrate their creativity as much as possible while still sort of staying the course on getting a show done within a corporate structure so you're just changing hollywood that's what you're doing no i mean a, lo- a lot of I mean- I think a lot I think a lot of people who are who who came up outside of that system who are not like the children of people who came up in that system or who didn't come from a traditional ladder climb, right? Which is that's what indie filmmakers are, non-traditional ladder climb. You know, like it's a it's a weird pivot over to television and mainstream film from there. But I think folks from that have not been indoctrinated indoctrinated into a particular system or way of thinking that the Hollywood machine has been prepping for decades and decades and decades. And so because of that, I think if you have the privilege of, of entering at a place where you're being afforded a budget to do a show and you've earned the trust of a network because of your, your artistry, you do have a little bit of leeway on how you build the ship. And, and, if, and if you can make it float a different way, mm. they don't care as long as the motherfucker floats. But mm-hmm. it has to float. It has to work, you know, and those are the places where it gets tense, where you're trying to be, you want to do it a new way, but it is within an old system. Mm-hmm. We can't change the old system, you know, any which way you want to. You have to slowly, you know, you got to slowly stretch the old system out, but you can do that in new ways. And I think that's the, that's the give and take of trying to build something, you know, in the first season of a TV show. Yeah. But I just want to get into the, the, the casting for a second. Like, oh. obviously, Helen Hunt. I, I want to talk about Helen Hunt because for me, I was obviously excited to see her name uh, in the cre- in the credits, you know, in a, prior to the to watching the show. But I didn't 
I, I didn't see it right away. You know, I, I've seen her in so many things. I love her as, as an actress, but I was like, oh, wow, she's going to be Miles's mom. OK, we'll, we'll see how this works out. And she's fucking great. I never <laughs> would have expected that from her, even though I know she has range. It's just seeing her in a completely different light. Uh, so I would love to talk about working with Helen Hunt and and you putting her in the bay and it just fitting. And then I want to have Earl's email because he's awesome. I want to be homies. I, I know that's not really him in real life, but that character steals every scene. He's fucking awesome. Uh, everyone yeah, is, but Earl is just hilarious. Everyone is. Anyway, go on. <laughs> um, yeah, Helen, you know, Helen really loved the film and really sort of was a champion for us in in a lot of ways when it was when it was first coming out and um we it started with a joke you know me and David sitting around be like how crazy would it be if Helen played Miles's mom because Ma- Miles's mom was actually in the original screenplay for the movie and we we moved some stuff around um mm-hmm. and so that character went away but it was a, you know it was originally there to contextualize kind of who Miles is a little bit more um and uh and so, you know, obviously, as we got closer with Helen and realized that might be a real possibility, we started sort of writing that that hippie white mom from the Bay that <laughs> so many of us know, you know, who is, who is you know, almost alternative to a fault and like, you know, yes, ands everything and, ha- you know, has a story for that at all times, you know, which is I'm just mm-hmm. describing my own mother and David's mother. And <laughs> um, but you know, I'd never seen a character like that on TV before. So I thought it was really palpable. And also I feel like it would bring in an audience that would maybe normally watch a show like this and Mm -hmm. find their way into it through a familiar face. And, you know, and then Helen helped us really craft that character. You know, I don't, it's hard, you know, the minute you try to write a character that's, that you know, in your real life, as you start to get into the nuance of them, you realize how little you know some of the people that you love the most in your life. They're like, oh, I, mm. I don't know that. I don't know that corner. I don't know what happens in that room when they're alone. I'm, I'm assuming, I'm guessing, you know? And so it was a lot of, one, her informing what it is to be, a, you know, a 50-something woman with kids, you know? And then, and then talking to a lot of friends and family, both, you know, both me and David's moms and some of our other mentors and aunts and uncles and tias and shit, you know? to get them in to sort of build that character. And then Helen sat with people in me and David's lives, all the people that are like Trish and people that are like Rainy to hear them talk and ask questions in these sort of safe private spaces that we would build around the writer's room so she could build who Rainy is. And then, you know, she walked on set the first day and in that outfit with those, you know, ridiculously fun stretchy pants. (laughs) And, uh, And we were just like, oh my gosh, this is gonna be amazing. (laughs) <laughs> um, really her you know her and Jalen in a scene together man Rainy and Trish in a scene as mom and daughter I, like the first time I saw it on a monitor I was like I've never seen this on TV this has only existed in my real life but I've never seen this in a show yeah. and then Ben you know we've known Ben since he was 14 you know so when we were writing the show we we wrote it for him there was no one else who's going to play that role this role was absolutely written by and for him in many ways and so um uh, it's just been a treat to watch somebody we've known since he was a kid as a performing artist, as a writer, poet, musician, actor, like flex so hard on this show. And like, you've only seen, you've seen episode five. So you've seen the beginning of the flex. The flex continues. The, the, yeah. You know, like he's really ramping the whole season. He's like peppered into the pilot. It's like, oh, I wonder what that guy's going to do. And by mm-hmm. the time you get to episode five, you're like, holy shit. Um, 
Yeah, he's yeah. brilliant. He's like the sleeper hit of the season, like second half of the season. It's just like the Earl show. Awesome. Um, so fun. Yeah. Well, we have to wrap up before we go. I have a little side story because Aaron, one day she like texted me and she's like, oh, you know, blind spotting, they're doing casting and they're looking for a Filipino. You should really try out. And I was like, what are you on crack? I'm not an actress. I'm not. No, I never want to be on camera. And she was serious. I wasn't. And then when I watched who this character was, which is Jackie, who April Absinthe, we just had her on because she oh, was in Lupia for a vengeance. So we just had her on too. Oh, she played? Yes. Oh, and when yeah, I saw yeah. Jackie, I'm like, you are so high because <laughs> I would never be able to work that character like April Absinthe does. And I can't wait for you to see it because it's, I can only imagine myself in those outfits and it is horrid. It's scary. But yeah, anyway, I mean, April bodied it. April totally. Oh you know, my God. Oh, she's so she good. Right, she's she also a so character that, that takes like an interesting turn. Like she's yeah, sort of presented. Five. It, I'm like, episode five. Jackie, she, she, she takes, yeah. she, she's presented one way, you know, and it's really, it would be really easy because of the, how television treats you to like write people off in particular tropes, which is something we try to subvert a lot in the show. Because like of blind Jackie, spotting too. Because of blind spotting, right. There's a lot of, you know. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to get a lot of people being like, well, this person's not a three-dimensional character. It's like, you didn't watch more episodes. You know, we sort of present present Jackie in the beginning as some someone who's like a part of Trish's crew, right? Maybe her, like her best friend. And then as it goes, Jackie, there's there's this warmth and love to this, this relationship that Trish and Jackie have. It's a super sweet friendship that I... I I'm so happy. I, 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 you know, we when we were auditioning for that role, you know, first of all, it's so hard to like, and our casting folks worked so hard on this, but like, they just didn't know what to do with a role that was like, no, it has to be a Filipino woman. It has to be. Like, well, <laughs> what about, what about Japanese? We're like, no, 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 no. It's gotta be a Filipino girl from the Bay, please. Correct. And so, you know, I, I think what was really exciting about that, and I would send like references from my friends, Instagram accounts or from the Bay. And I was like, somebody who feels like this, somebody who feels like this. <laughs> Look at how interesting this person is. And uh, and so when when April came aboard, I think what was really beautiful about her performance, because we didn't really know she was going to be such a prominent character until we met her. You know, we, have, we, we hadn't written the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth episodes yet when we cast her. So mm. it was really like when we met her, we were like, damn, we need, I think we need more Jackie. You know, like let's, mm -hmm. there'd be a scene and we'd be like, add Jackie to it. Why not? Like, fuck it. Let, let's, let's meet a little bit more of her. And I just really, I really love the way that Jalen and April discovered the friendship between those two women mm -hmm. and how they, how they decided to communicate the depth of that friendship in, in these really nonverbal ways throughout the show. And they did that entirely on their own. Like I'm sure a couple of directors gave them notes to lean into it, but they really found something special in that friendship. And, um, and April brings a, a particular... There's a particular base sweetness to her that exists within a world where I think people think there's only Trish's and, and, and even Trish's, Trish's right. sort of edginess is complicated by the fact that, that Jackie is there, you know? Yeah. And so I, I think it was this beautiful sort of discovery of complexity that they both afford each other just by being in each other's presence. And so I'm excited for just more, more Jackie really. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm gonna have to watch it. <laughs> Are you sold? Are you gonna watch <laughs> it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Episode seven has a whole oh. like Jackie arc. Oh, I can't wait. 
You haven't even yes. seen that shit yet. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a really great yeah. there's a really great like Jackie thing that happens in seven that's awesome. <laughs> well we yeah, we are so happy to have you back. Thank you for showing us how to create art. Thank you for showing us how to lead in whatever way that means to you. Thank you for setting the example. Hopefully this is a catalyst for films to be made out of Oakland and out of the Bay on the regular. Um, And yeah, just happy to call you a homie. Thank you for holding space for projects like this. It's really important, you know? So we we always appreciate it. That's why anytime y'all hit us up, I'm like, man, you gotta put that on the calendar. (laughs) (laughs) Check it out. Get that link working. Let me know if you need help. (laughs) We'll figure it out. You're the best, Rafa. Thank you so much. Appreciate y'all, man. Take care. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions.